Hey, good morning, Trace Church. You guys doing good today? Man, summertime. Um, great to be with you guys uh, today. Again, my name is Patrick, and um, it is, it's amazing to be connected into community. And I think you guys know this. You're here. That's a great thing. It's a great sign. Man, when you get connected into community, it helps you thrive and to become more of, of who God's created you to be. It's great. It's healthy for your family. And so I just want to say it's great uh, as uh, the Tanton family to be connected in community here at Trace Church. We're absolutely stoked about launching a new church up in the Northgate and Monument area. And so uh, I know you'll hear more about that as we go on throughout the weeks. But it's great to be sharing with you guys again today. And um, this over the summer, you guys have been uh, looking at the first chapter of some really great books in Scripture. And um, if, if you're like me and you see a book and you're not sure if you like it, if you're going to like it, um, you see the cover, you maybe flip it over, you read the back, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to buy this or what. You know, it's, it sounds kind of interesting. One of the great things that you can find on the Internet if, when you Google these books is a lot of times they offer you a free glimpse at chapter 1. And they know that when they give you that free glimpse of chapter 1, that they, they gonna, they're going to draw you into the story. They're going to let you know what this book is about. And so there's been a number of books that I'll get online. I'll check out chapter 1, and if it draws me in, I'll end up buying that book. And that's a lot of like this concept of this series here, that as we look and we unpack just the first chapter of a number of these books in Scripture, that it draws you in, it baits you. So you just got to know up front, uh, I'm throwing bait out today. I want you to read the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to crack the first uh, chapter of this book today. But before we do that, um, my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, had a birthday yesterday. And she's not in here right now. She's uh, over in the kids area. Turned eight years old yesterday. And more than ever in my life, I recognize how a kid can have the same DNA and very different personalities. So parents, if you're with me on this, you recognize your kids, like they have the same lineage, but they have completely unique identities. And this is like incredibly obvious for me as my kids are growing up and their personalities are coming out and I start to see the uniqueness of each one of those. But I think a lot of it has to do with this fact, your identity has less to do with where you came from and more to do with what you're called to. And we're going to crack that open today because that's a, a big piece of the book of John. And I think you probably would recognize with me that our identity gets wrapped up in a lot of things. We tend to attach our identity to a number of different things in life. Maybe you attach your identity to your career. Maybe you attach your identity to relationships. Maybe your bank account. We often use those things to define who we are, but, but that's not who we are. And here, here's one of the bad things. When you do that, when you fall into that trap, one of the bad things is then when you end up losing those things, you lose your identity. When you place your identity in a relationship and the relationship is gone, now you're trying to figure out who you are all over again. This happens all the time. Parents who become empty nesters have to figure out who they are again because their identity was wrapped up in their kids. Athletes who no longer play the game have to figure out who they are again because their identity was wrapped up in what they were doing. A lot of people lost a lot of money about 10 years ago when the housing market crashed, and, and there was a lot of people who struggled. They were trying to figure out who they were all of a sudden. People who retire, they no longer have this career or this job that they're 
they've had their identity wrapped and they, they're drifting and they're trying to figure out who they are because we, oftentimes, we place our identity in a lot of things that shouldn't be there. So finding our true home is really important. True home for our identity, and that's really what this book of John is about. Identity is the center point of the book of John. Who Jesus really is and who you really are in him is incredibly important. So the book's written by one of the followers of Jesus named John. You guessed it, right? The book of John, he was a very close follower of Jesus. In fact, you could say they were super tight. He was a part of this inner circle of friends, and that's incredibly important for you to know because he witnessed firsthand the life of Jesus, the unfiltered, unedited life of Jesus. Not like the paintings that you may have seen on the wall of Jesus, like the glow and the halo and, and holding lambs, or, or maybe like this one. Every time we drive to Kansas, we see this picture. This we have come to call Wheatfield Jesus. Every time we drive down I-70, um, there's this billboard sticking up from the wheat fields. And listen, the world paints a picture of Jesus all the time. Our culture does that today, in fact. So it's not by chance that identity is the theme of John's book because he wants to paint a real picture for his readers of who Jesus is. He was there. He spent so much time with them. He was in that, that inner core, that inner circle, and he wants desperately to paint this picture for you, for all of his readers, of who Jesus is. And if there is something that this world needs today, it's to be able to see Jesus for who he really is. Millions of people have confused Christianity with Jesus. Christianity carries baggage because it's made up of imperfect people like me. Christianity is a label we give imperfect people who are trying to follow a, a perfect Savior. And John is not trying to identify Christians. He's trying to identify Jesus. And so he writes this book. He writes it to both Jews and Gentiles, or today we would say to both religious and non-religious people. And his goal is to capture all the stories, all the events, like all the amazing things of the life of Jesus. And he wants, to, he wants to capture those into one book, and he wants that book to help lead people into a life-changing experience with Jesus. Faith in Christ. And so he writes one book of what we would call the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of these authors, every one of them had a different perspective. They had a different goal in mind when they wrote the book. And John, from the very beginning, he focuses on who Jesus is. And so he begins with these familiar words, in the beginning. In the beginning. A few weeks back, Pastor Aaron was talking about how, like, how popular these DNA ancestry tests are. Like the world's become infatuated with these things, trying to figure out where they came from. Now, I have, um, I have a, a really big benefit in my family tree. I have a number of historians. It's kind of a cool deal because they do all the work for us, and then they provide for us a history of the Tanton family. And this is what we've discovered over the years. In the beginning, the Tantons lived in France. We were known as Détanton. 
It wasn't too long after this that there was the very first Anglo-French war, a lot of conflict between England and France, and, and France was not winning. There was a lot of people who moved from France to England, including the Détentons. But if you're going to move from France to England, you've got to make sure people don't know you're from England. And so they drop the day, or they don't, they don't know you're from France. So they drop these first two letters, because everybody knows if, if your name starts with D-E, you're from France. So then... Uh, the early 1800s, my great-great-great-great-grandfather gets on a boat, he comes over to America, and they end up dropping the U, and we're the Tanton family. Now, I know that if we move one more time, I'm going to have to drop some letters from my family. I don't know how to do this. I know that my, my, a uh, couple of my daughters would love us to move to California, and then we would drop ton and we would just become the tan family in California. E either way, it's really cool to know where you came from. That, like, like, I love this. This is such a neat thing for us. But it's important for us to recognize that what John's talking about here, he's not writing about where Jesus came from. He is writing about who Jesus came from. And it's also important to recognize he doesn't even include the nativity story. He doesn't talk about Joseph and Mary. He, in fact, he doesn't include a genealogy of Jesus. So if you're talking about who you came from, but you don't have a genealogy, what's, what's up? What's that about? Well, here's what John did. Instead, he introduced the book by going back even further in history. John took Jesus' identity and he elevated all the way back to God himself. And so he uses the language of Genesis in the beginning. He took his identity all the way back to who he came from and who he really is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John opens his book by painting this picture right from the very beginning. Jesus is God. Very beginning. And he begins to unfold the identity of Jesus then. So as you crack open chapter 1, what I want to do this morning is I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, if you like the Cliff Note version, um, it's because you don't like to read the long version. If you like to wait until the video comes out, that's because you don't like to read it all. Here's what we're going to do today though, okay? We're going to hit the Cliff Notes version of chapter 1, and we're just going to click through this pretty quick. Because it leads us somewhere that's just like super undeniable. Let's start. John chapter 1, verse 1. The author John introduces Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the life and light of the world. He's grace and truth. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. And then he talks about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came pointing to Jesus, telling everybody, this man is the Messiah. And then the author says that the world didn't recognize him for who he was, and so then he starts to identify him even more, who this guy is, who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Word become flesh. And then you have these first disciples who start pointing to Jesus. Everybody's pointing to Jesus. God the Father has this dove descend on Jesus, identifying this is my Son. Everybody is saying who Jesus is. Andrew identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Philip tells Nathaniel who Jesus is. Nathaniel identifies Jesus as the Son of God. Listen, by the time you get to the end of chapter 1, you realize that what we've been saying for the last 10 minutes 
This passage is all about identity. Everybody is pointing to Jesus. John spends the entire first chapter telling everybody who Jesus is. And then he uses the rest of the book. This, this book has 21 chapters in it. The first chapter, John is, is saying who Jesus is. The last 20 chapters, he uses Jesus' own words, Jesus' own actions to point to his identity. And you'll see that he does this through miracles and metaphors. Let's talk about that. As you continue reading through the book of John, there's seven miracles that Jesus performed that, that John captured. Now, there was a lot of them. John said, I couldn't capture all of them, but I chose these seven. And we learned something really important as you, as you read through this book and you see all these miracles that Jesus did. There's something that's extremely relevant to our own lives when you start to, to unfold this. John calls these miracles signs. And that's really, really important. Um, Jesus performed a lot of them, but Jesus himself had to continually remind people the purpose of signs is to point to something. A sign points to something. And in this case, the signs pointed to someone. The problem was that the people kept getting fixated on the signs. It was all about the signs. It was all about the signs. It was all about the signs. And they were missing who the signs were pointing to. Now, if you've ever been to the Garden of the Gods just down the road here, I would hope that everybody in this room has been at least one time. One of the most beautiful, most amazing attractions that you can find on this planet. But how sad would it be if you load the car up and you say, we're going to Garden of the Gods, and you guys drive and you stop at the sign at the entrance and you say, family, let's get out. Let's get everybody in front of the sign. Let's take a family photo. You take a family photo standing in front of the sign, and you say, all right, everybody back in the car, let's go home. And you miss the experience of seeing the actual Garden of the Gods. Listen, signs point to something. The sign is not where you stop. The sign points to something. And Jesus kept saying, these signs are pointing to my identity. And John continues to say these signs point to Jesus' identity. Let me, let me take a sidebar here for just a second. What this can translate to in our own life is just the reality that some of us get caught up in what we do. We get caught up in our actions. You may not call them signs. Certainly probably don't call them miracles. But we get caught up in our, our actions, and sometimes we think our identity is wrapped up in our activity, and it's not. It's not. Now, I've struggled with this a number of times in my life with, with getting my identity wrapped up in, in things um, that, aren't, that aren't the Lord, but I wanna, I'm going to tell you about a friend I had in college. It's way easier talking about other people. So, um, so I have this friend in college that um, when I met him, he... Um, he was a cowboy, cowboy boots, cowboy hat, listened to, to country music, and um, uh, come to find out he was dating a, a cowgirl. 
And it wasn't a month later when uh, I see this guy walk into class and he's like got gold chains and an untucked shirt and, and sneakers on and, and he had gotten a new girlfriend who was into something else. And, and uh, a little bit later on, a couple months down the road, he's, he's dressed in flip-flops and a beach bum kind of clothing. And his identity was so wrapped up in who he was dating. Like he cha- Listen, you can change the style of clothes all you want. I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me. But this guy, was his identity was wrapped up in his relationships. Maybe you've, maybe you've struggled with that before. Your identity being so tightly connected to your relationships, to your job, your career, your finances. There's something really dangerous that happens when you start adopting this mindset and this, uh, this mentality because this activity can go both directions. You could be doing great things and think you're a great person because of your, your great activity, but it also has a dark side because some of you may have done things in your past that you absolutely regret, and you've attached your identity to those things as well. I remember one time I was needing to discipline one of my kids. They had done something that just needed to be corrected, and I was getting ready to sit down with them, and I just felt the Lord whisper to me that I needed to make sure that I was separating their activity from their identity. And so I sat down with, with my child, and, and I said, this may be how you're acting right now, but this is not who you are. And my job as your dad is to help you begin to live out who God created you to be. And that means I'm going to help shape your actions to line up with your identity. That's, that's my job as, as your dad. And some of you guys, you need to really do a heart check right now, and you need to separate your activity from your identity, good or bad. It carries baggage. It causes you to place your, your purpose and your, your who you are in things that were never meant to be. See, when I'm, when I'm correcting my kids, I'm not calling them out. I'm calling them up. I'm calling them up to who God created them to be. And a lot of times when we face correction in life, it's the same thing. We're not getting called out. We're being called up. So it's important that we separate our actions from our identity. And, and you may need to hear this. This may be the whole reason you came today. Who you are is rooted in God, not in what you do, and certainly not in what you've done. Your identity is rooted in God. Your identity is found in him. So I want to take a second now. Let's jump back into the, the text today because we're talking about these miracles that Jesus did, the signs that Jesus did, and John had something to say. He's writing, he's writing in, right? He takes these seven miracles, he puts them in his book, and then he makes this statement. This is John chapter 20. This is great. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these, these seven, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, Jesus included these signs not so that you would see Jesus' miracles, but so that you would see his true identity. All of these miracles 
We're pointing to who Jesus is. So there's seven miracles or signs that you read about in the book of John, but there's something else as well I want to point out, and that is these seven identity statements Jesus makes about himself. Bible scholars call them the seven I am's because every one of these begins with I am, right? Let's check out a few of these here. First one, John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Next one, I am the light of the world. And then he says, I am the vine. He goes on to call himself the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. He uses these metaphors to sharpen the picture of his identity. These word pictures here, some of the most famous word pictures for Christ are found in the book of John. John uses more of these metaphors than any other of the Gospels. So there's these metaphors that Jesus uses. But these miracles that we talked about, the seven miracles, and these metaphors, the seven metaphors that Jesus used, they're all pointing to something, okay? Here's, here's if, if I can get you to, to engage right now in this moment, this is going to be the most significant 30 seconds of what I have to say. Everybody with me? All right, listen. These miracles and these metaphors point to the most important conversation in all the Gospels. And you find it in in chapter 7 as you read through this book of John. You'll find it in chapter 7. The question, who is Jesus, goes public. In fact, it created quite the tension. There's a public argument. There's a public discourse about who is Jesus. Is he really the Messiah? And Jesus, is. this is such a big deal to him that he pulls his disciples to the side And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond and they say, some people say uh, you're a prophet. Some people say you're an amazing rabbi, an amazing teacher. Some people even think that you're Elijah, come back from the dead. And, And then he focuses his next question, just like a laser. He said, who do you think I am? Listen, I know that other people have their own opinions about who Jesus is. But who is Jesus to you? I'm going to make a pretty bold statement here, but I want you to feel the weight of this. This is the single biggest question that any of us will ever answer in our life. Who is Jesus to you? In fact, we could say it this way. The most important question you will ever answer, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Everybody has their opinions. Everybody paints a certain picture. John spends his entire book painting the most vivid and clear picture possible for you so that you can answer this question. Here's what he said. As you get about halfway through the book, he just pauses for a moment. And he said this, the reason that I write is so that people will recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and so they will place their faith in him. Who is Jesus to you? Why is 
understanding identity so important? It's because Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith and John wants Jesus to be at the center of your life. 21 chapters to get you there. Beautiful pictures, word pictures, beautiful stories, miracles, beautiful conversations, powerful words that John is writing to get you to this place that you'd put Jesus at the center of your life. Because understanding who Jesus is is tied to our eternity and it's tied to our own identity. Scripture tells us that our identity is found in our relationship with God. And so it's really important that we understand who Jesus is first and then we understand who we are second. See, He is the Son of God. What he did for us unlocks salvation for us. Like true life just revolves around him. Now we, we are his beloved creation. We are, we are sons and we're daughters. We find our identity and our purpose in him. Many people spend their whole lives misunderstanding who Jesus is and trying to be someone that they're not. I'll say that one more time. Many people spend their whole lives misunderstanding who Jesus is and trying to be someone that they're not. And my hope is that today, as we just cracked open the book of John, that it's kind of like a watershed moment for you, that it just kind of parts the way and it just helps you see clearly. And as you maybe read through the book of John yourself, that all of these things come alive to you again. Who Jesus is, really. And so as we're going to wrap up today, I want to, I want to come to our principle of one today. And I'm going to ask you to move one step towards your true identity. And, and to do that, I want you to think about what your identity has been wrapped in. Has your identity been wrapped in your career? Has it been wrapped in your money? Has it been wrapped in your sexuality? Has it been wrapped in your past? One of the beautiful things about beginning a relationship with God is He severs all those things. And He sets you free to become exactly who He created you to be. And if you're someone that says, man, my identity is found in Jesus all day, every day, like, like that, that's awesome. But I just want to tell you something. This thing called priority creep happens in everybody's life. That means there's things in our life that start to climb up the identity ladder, become more and more important to us, more and more significant, and we start to place our, our value in those things. And here's, here's how I want to ask this question then. Here's how I want to ask this question, our principle of one. What is the one thing that you need to stop wrapping your identity in so it can find its home in God? What's the one thing in your life that you need to walk out of here and say, no longer, that's not who I am, so that your identity can find its true home in God? God created us. And the one who made us is the one who defines us. That's how it works. 
It's a beautiful picture of creation. And so today we've, we've talked about the book of John. We've talked about how John points out Jesus' identity at every turn. He used declarations from a lot of people that, that started to follow Jesus. And then he used Jesus' own words and his own actions, his, his miracles and his metaphors to point to Jesus. And God wants to use us to do the exact same thing at every opportunity that our life is pointing to him. Would you guys bow your heads as we close today? I want to pray for us. God, thank you for uh, writings like this book of John that um, help us understand who your son Jesus is. God, we also thank you that it helps us understand who we are and our own identity. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to help us to live lives that not only have Jesus at the center of who we are, but that we would also take the time, just like the book of John, to point to him at every opportunity. We thank you for our time together. Amen.